You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is a Fright Fest 2014 special of It's podcast. This is a Fright Fest 2014 special of it's Welcome to another Britflix.com Frightfest preview special podcast. Today I've got with me um, David Campbell. Hello, David. Hello. Hi, Stuart. And glad to get you on board. We've uh, we've tried many a text, email, dead phone, meeting your producer attempts to make this happen. But we're here. We are. And having having discussed off off podcast real estate of North Manchester, we can now move into films, can't we? Absolutely, we can. Um, so, what's the name of your film? Lemon Tree Passage is the name of my film. It's a little uh, Aussie horror film, a supernatural thriller, um, which is my first feature and uh, one that was a baptism of fire to work on. Cool, cool. Now, give us. Um... Give us a brief look. You're, you're the director and co-writer of that film. Indeed. And can you give us a brief synopsis of what the film's about? The Lamentary Passage is based on an urban myth that exists in the east coast of Australia. Uh, and it sort of it swept the country just a few years ago, but it's existed, bubbled along uh, in the culture there for a little while. And it's about a mysterious light that appears on uh, a dark stretch of country road in a town called Lemon Tree Passage. And uh, there, are many, um, there are many beliefs for what this light, this mysterious light is, some of them benevolent, some of them not so much. Yeah. And uh, this film uh, puts my own bent on that story and brings it to life and brings it to the big screen so all of the people that have been following the myth can enjoy it. Indeed, indeed. Now, as if, if, if 50-50 is equal parts scares to equal part gore, what would be the ratio of uh, Lemon Tree Passage? Well, there's zero gore. It's a, um, I've always been influenced by the quiet, creepy, 
scary, chill horror movies particularly, you know, okay. of the Japanese ilk and even all the American remakes of them, and that's what I grew up on. Yeah. And uh, I've never been a fan of gore, and whether it be a medical show or a horror movie, I... Uh, you know, I turn my eyes away when the blood comes out, and uh, there's very little here um, in Lemon Tree Passage, and that uh, is for my for my uh, for my own for my own reasons as much as for the audience. <laughs> I couldn't watch it. <laughs> now, do you do you know when your film is showing at Fright Fest? Uh, it's showing uh, this coming Monday, the Bank Holiday Monday, uh, at I think the screening is one o'clock, and that's at Discovery Screen One. And that's the View Cinema on Leicester Square, yeah? Indeed it is. Okay, okay. Now, let's talk about the film. Um, you, as you were involved with the co-writing as well as directing, let's let's go back to... You've, you've kind of get alluded to what, what compelled you to write it. So, mm. in terms of, you know, trying to bring to life and, like you say, give your own kind of spin on, on this urban myth, what, what, were some of the, um, what were some of the hardest challenges, do you think, in resolving the storytelling of the, the tale that you tell? Well, the entire, the entire script writing and storytelling process is a massive challenge and uh, one that I just dove headfirst uh, into with my writing partner, Erica Bryan, who I've worked with in advertising for uh, many years mm. in Australia. And um, for us, the writing process was, it was just about a lot of talking before we put anything down on a piece of paper. So um, because it was a collaborative, uh, because it was a collaborative process, we were really just uncovering little bits of the story, little, you know, three page segments, five minute bits uh, to, to understand how we can tell the story from a, from a moment by moment uh, point of view, but also from the big picture um, story point of view. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, there's quite an ensemble cast going on, isn't there? Yeah. There's, I mean, while there's there's identifiably a clear hero, and this isn't going to spoil too much for people that haven't seen the film, there isn't what you would call one single identifiable antagonist, though. Um, no, there isn't. And, and uh, in many ways, uh, the decision was made to make this film as much about, um, uh, you know, there's an element of ghostly revenge in this film, which is not surprising for this genre at all. But in many ways, we were looking to create um, some real moral ambiguity around that antagonist uh, ghost. And um, there are moments where uh, the audience will empathise with, uh, you know, as they understand the story, and there'll be moments where they, you know, they they really uh, they really hate this um, this character, and it's that. That alternating juxtaposition that I think has made um, uh, it makes for some interesting discussions. Yeah, because because you're you're playing with the audience expectation of reality and unreality, aren't you? That's exactly what we're doing. Yes, and um, and uh, we don't. So in in many ways, we don't let people sit still. We uh, we're, we're we're pulling the rug out from under them often enough that uh, you know by the time you reach the end of the film, you need to make up your mind about. You know what does good and evil look like? What is what is what is a moral right and wrong? And um, they're questions that you know we, we explore in life every single day, and and have explored it in this film. Yeah, because because like you say, the the, the 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 sort of straight through line, which is the uncovering of of this thing that happened that causes this other thing to sort of roam around or whatever, um, and and 
take hold of people um, is is simple enough to identify with. But there are there are mm. people who who lose that. Well, you know, people will lose their life in the film. And from 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 my point of view, it didn't seem like like they'd done a whole lot wrong. That uh, that they hadn't done a whole lot wrong, or they had done a whole lot wrong. They hadn't. They, they no. Well, this is well, this is the thing about revenge, isn't it? And um, and uh, you know, this is. I guess this comes back to some of my identification with uh, with Japanese ghost stories, which um, revenge goes to the wrong. Usually, revenge goes to the wrong people, and it hurts the wrong people, and. Um, and it's not right. It's not. It's not right. But uh, you know, it's something that's very familiar, very common in in those Japanese, uh, those Japanese ghost stories that we all love. Mm. Um, I thought it was. Um, I thought it was very clever, the way you introduced the film, because you don't start with you don't start with the obvious, mm. Um, mm. the uh, the the older brother character, which obviously we don't identify at that stage. Um, yes, that scene um, actually was one of the only scenes that we shot after the film, um, uh, after the entire film had been shot and, and an assembly put together. Uh, we were looking for, uh, yeah, we we're looking for an unsettling and just an upside down ending, I suppose. Um, and so the first few minutes of the film were never in the original script. They were never in the original story, but they felt right once we started to see it come together. Yeah. Um, and so that was a really interesting exercise that was shot months after the rest of the film was shot. Um, uh, and, you know, and our actor, uh, Nick Gunn, who I think is going to be uh, flying up from Australia for uh, for Fright Fest, um, had to come, you know, he had to come back and bring his, his very dark character uh, you know, back into play and all by himself and without the rest of the cast to play off. So um, it was uh, it was a really interesting experience for me as a director and for him as an actor. Yeah. Oh, so what you because I mean, obviously, it, it, it does it does a, does you know that basic thing that horror movies need is it gives it that jolt that says you're in a horror film now, sit yeah. back and relax. And so what when you when you constructed the film originally, you felt that was that was that that was like a missing link. Yeah, well, it was. It was a, you know, it was a not dissimilar ending, um, but it, uh, it was. Oh, sorry, a, a, not a dissimilar opening, but it. Um, I just, I feel like there were so many layers that we could pull out and bring into uh, to to the new opening scene that just didn't exist in the, in the original script. And and this is the interesting part of the filmmaking process that mm. the film is found as you, as you're working on it. It's found, uh, it's found as you're writing it. It's found as you're shooting it. It's found as you're editing it, and there's a saying that films are written three times, and I know that firsthand to be uh, absolutely true with this film. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, thinking, I mean, thinking about this from, 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 from my point of view, so I've only seen it as it is, mm. and I can't imagine then the scene when we next, obviously, the, we next meet the brother, which obviously originally would have been the first time we meet the brother. Mm. Is that I, right? Indeed, indeed, and... Um... Uh, it, but this is the interesting thing about films, isn't it? That that we only we only see the version that uh, that we're presented with, but there in reality have been hundreds and thousands of versions of every single movie ever made, and none of us have the opportunity to see the version that never that never was. And and it's true that it's only the version that we know and we see that seems like the right version, isn't it? And um, you know, I think that's definitely the case for me. Once we've shot, once we've written this opening scene and uh, and shot it, it felt right. It felt like we should have written it that way in the first place, but we didn't. Um, but you know what? It was uh, that's it's the way you uncover these stories. Indeed. And now, now a lot of what you do is shot on location, isn't it? 
Uh, yes. Oh, in fact, the entire film was shot on location. So, uh, so much of it outdoors of... and much of it at night time to the peril of our poor actors in a chilly Australian uh, spring. Um, we were shooting in my home state of South Australia, which is not where the movie is set, but yeah. it's where, uh, where we shot. And much of it is set in uh, forest. And the, uh, the forest in the east coast of, uh, of New South Wales have a very distinct look. And um, you're not, you're not going to find them in South Australia, but we were very keen to work there because I knew, you know, I knew the town, I knew the people, I knew the crews, um, and I could go home to my own bed every night. Always a pleasure. As it happens, just 30, 30 years ago, the the uh, forestry people had had planted this massive New South Wales-looking forest that we managed to get access to. So that became. The majority of our set for a good three quarters of uh, three quarters of the shooting. Well, in terms of you looking at that script when you first sort of locked it, as it were, getting ready to shoot, from a directing point of view, what were what were some of the aspects in it where they seem like the biggest challenges? And maybe give us an example or two of what you did to overcome them. Uh, well, I mean, every shot is a challenge when you're working on, when you're working on a film with, that's trying to shoot seven pages a day mm. on location and with a somewhat limited, uh, somewhat limited crew and it's the first time you've done it. So every, every little decision feels like, um, a big one. And, and sometimes it's the really practical things that just, they just seem like a given when you watch the final film that you actually spend a whole bunch of time. Uh, having to worry about and think about. So we've got some driving. Uh, the, the story is set. Um, it talks about the uh, this light on the road. So there are some driving sequences along a road. And it's, um, it's not that easy to shoot driving sequences with lots of people in a car, in a studio, and, uh, and you know, and be emulating a ghost out of the back window. Uh, um, so a lot of time, a lot of time went into uh, what is probably a minute and a half in the film of driving sequences, uh, just to just to make that work. And again, when you when you watch a film, it just feels like a given. It just feels, you know, it feels like you're there driving a car. But um, there's just so much logistics that goes into it. Indeed, indeed. And um, and what do you? I mean, on, on a kind of if, if that was some of the practical things you overcome, what what were um, what were the, what were some aspects of it? I mean, I, I understand being a directorial debut that that obviously finishing the film would be a huge achievement. But in terms of in terms of some of the shots you had to do and the practicalities of those to make it to give you those scares or give you those moments of trepidation, what were what were the, what were you what do you consider to be like examples of? Your favourite achievements? Well, almost all of the film is shot um, in a in a handheld style, and so you know we we weren't opting for big sweeping shots with the you know with the exception of the odd establishing you know nice beach shot. Uh, A lot of this was about creating mystery through what you don't see. And when you're in a forest and it's nighttime and it's dark, it's very easy to uh, disappear into the shadows and. and, and reveal things in such a way that, uh, you know, it can build and release that tension. Mm. Um, and so I guess every shot is crafted, you know, crafted in, in that sort of way. Uh, I, I, don't know if, I don't know if I can pull an example of, of something that needed some, you know, a lot of careful Well, no, just, careful just that you're planning. More, more so that you're, you're, it's your, you're satisfied with what you achieve, not so much... It doesn't have to be difficult, but like if you can, if you obviously see what's on the page, and mm. then you see it on the screen, how it turned out, 
It's that kind of thing. I mean, it doesn't have to be been difficult to get there, but right, indeed. Um, I mean, there is a big, there's a big, uh, there's a big scene at the end of the film that is a, a really a very long dialogue scene, and on the page, it's just people talking. Um, and in reality, the shots are relatively simple. It's shot like a like a dialogue scene. Mm. Um, but there's a lot of tension built and released in those moments, and a lot of that comes down to performance and the performances of our actors Jessica Tovey and Nicholas Gunn um, in those sort of in those really long stretch uh, long stretch scenes that spanned pages and pages of talking on the page, mm. which is very different to the rest of the film where there's not an awful lot of talking. Um, uh, really came to life because of those wonderful performances. I mean, one of the one of the one of the things I think you've done really well in terms of is is the um, is the tone of it because obviously, like I said earlier on, you've got quite the ensemble cast. But I don't, I didn't, I didn't feel right from the get. I never felt even from the get go like you were just giving me people that had to die or something. It was like they seemed like they were all considered characters that you were. Uh, that you're assembling for the film. So you've got the brother and sister, you've got the, 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 the girl who becomes the central character, you've got the kind of, I don't know what you, how you describe them, more kind of like the, the cruder of the two Australian guys. Mm-hmm. You've got the kind He's of a bogan. He'd be, in Australia, he'd be called a bogan, and okay. uh, as Oscar. <laughs> so a bogan <laughs> would be, in UK terms, perhaps a chav, but maybe... He uh, smokes a bit more and drinks a bit more and swears yeah. a whole lot more. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but, 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 those, but those usually it's quite alarican, and that's uh, so yeah, that that's Oscar. But it wasn't. But they weren't. They weren't characters that were just simply there to antagonise each other. They they just felt like people. You know, they felt like like you know, a group of people who, as a five. Just, just got on as you would do in, in social situations. Just, yeah, exactly. And, and I was very careful to avoid, I mean, it can be really easy to fall into the trap of, um, of forced conflict in every conversation. We see it in TV shows every day because you need to keep the, the, the story moving forward. And, mm. and then characters who don't argue end up arguing about silly things that they'd never argue about. And uh, there's none of that in here. But a, a lot of that comes down to, um, a, a lot of it comes down to the cast as well. I mean, the cast brings a lot to the actors bring a lot to a character and making sure that they do feel like real people, that they don't feel like cardboard cutouts and they're not cookie cutters. And um, while I worked hard for that on the page and I worked hard for that uh, with my director's hat on, the actors bring a lot to that, um, to that mix as well. What's your, what's your approach with the actors then? Are you, are, you, are you telling them what you need or are you letting them do what they want and my, see what you get? My approach, my approach with the actors is, is very much like my uh, collaborative approach in the screenwriting process. It's a lot of conversations. We did have a couple of weeks of... We did have a week of rehearsals because uh, you're getting on set, we are shooting. We have to get it right the first time, two takes, and we're out of there. Okay. Um, so we had a week of, uh, of rehearsals, but those rehearsals really weren't rehearsals. There was some... There's some sharpening of some dialogue, but it was much more discussion about character and, and motivation and just, uh, you know, big, long uncoveries about who these people are and where they've come from. And, uh, and that, I think that really built a good rapport uh, with all of the cast. Um, and, uh, and, and I, you know, I, it's, a, it's an approach that I feel really comfortable with. Hmm. Now, it's... Um... Fright, have you been to Frightfest before? I've not been to Frightfest. This will be my first Frightfest. Okay, okay. Well, you'll be glad to know that the uh, the Frightfest audience is a very is a very knowledgeable one and very a very kind of supportive one of genre, as you can imagine. Mm. And in a way, they've almost they've almost become as famous as the films themselves. Yes. Certainly, I know from Q and A's over the last few years, 
that's been a notable part of the content of people of, of you know certainly foreign directors visiting to come and do a Q and A is that they talk about wanting to see their film with the fright fest audience as a kind of and I know obviously that bit of that's buttering people up like but it happens so much that I think there is a kind of there's, there's a, a truth a to it. there's a myth and a legend to it now um, so in terms of you sitting there in the cinema with with the fright fest audience what what will you be particularly Excited to see from them while they're watching the film. What is the? Is there any? Is there anything that you'll be hoping to see see them experience? Or I, I mean, the interesting thing about making a film like this is it's it's littered with moments. It's littered with moments of tension and it's littered with moments of release of tension and scares and jumps and jokes and they're all laid in there and expo- an audience experiences that in real time as it's happening but they've all been designed and placed and you can't help when you're watching your film with an audience where you know what's coming up and and you know the reaction that you're looking for at any particular moment you can't help but look around the room and and mm. seeing if it sells um you know it's a it's a uh, it's a, you know it's 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 a really fun thing to do because really you're you're playing a piano from afar because uh, nice all of this idea. all of these decisions were made a long time ago well before they sat in that seat mm. to sit down and watch it so um, you know I've done and I've done that before with audiences and I'm I'm keen to do that again uh, with the fright fest audience. I heard I was listening to uh, Craig Mazan who co-wrote um, Hangover Two. Yes. Uh, the scary movie things like that. I know. And he, yeah, was, yeah. he was talking about the idea that going to a screening of your film is a bit like paying thousands and thousands of dollars to go and do an open mic. <laughs> it is. It is very. That is a really good analogy um, because because you've done all this. You've done all this prep, and it's all, you know, it's it's it, it, they're all sitting there watching you, but in in many, you know, they don't even know that you're sitting there at the back of the cinema. Uh, watching it with them, it is a really interesting and odd experience. I had the first festival experience just a couple of weeks ago yeah. in South Korea, where the film uh, premiered, mm. and uh, and obviously a South Korean audience is going to take things. I was just very interested to see how a South Korean audience will take things uh, you know, compared to, for example, an Australian audience, and um, I was very happy to see that even the jokes, even the humour, even the things that you would expect might, uh, might, might fall over by the time you leave Australian shores, still got a laugh and the jump still got a jump um, at the other side of the world. So that was really exciting. Well, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's look forward to the, uh, the, the audience response, the Frightfest audience response. Now, let's remind everybody, they can see that film, you can see Lemon Tree Passage on uh, Monday the 25th of August. And that's in Discovery Screen 1, which is the View Cinema on Leicester Square. And that's at uh, 1 o'clock. Indeed. And I'll, and I'll be there. And so will um, hopefully one of our cast and, uh, and the, the producer of the film. Excellent. So that'll be, you'll be there for the Q&A, will you? Is that what you mean? Indeed, indeed I will, yes. Oh, brilliant. Well, that's something else to look forward to. Um, now then, on Britflix, we, uh, we like to get our, our guests to do a bit of work for us as well. And uh, we... Uh, Frightfest allows me a bit more remit in terms of uh, not having to cover just British films, right? Because um, because obviously Frightfest is a huge, uh, huge British event, uh, which is why I get to speak to people like yourselves. But I always like to get a British film recommendation, so uh, I tend to frame it in the way that it's when I've spoken to British filmmakers, it always tends to be you know recommend a film that deserves more kudos, but actually. When I'm speaking to, to, I know you're based in Britain now, but if you were talking to your Aussie mates, what British horror film would you recommend to them that they should watch? 
There's a there's a movie uh, called Triangle with um, with Melissa George, an Australian actor, and this I guess shows my Australian bias. Uh, that um, was a really, really trippy um, film from 2009, directed by Christopher Smith, a mm-hmm. British guy from Bristol. Yeah. And uh, it was a twisty, confusing, upside-down, almost Inception-like journey that you spend entirely on a ship in the uh, Indian Ocean. Mm. Um, and while it's got characters from all around the world, much like my film has got American characters and Australian characters and British characters, it is very much a British film. It was shot here. It was, direct, it was directed by a British guy. And um, it's one that not many people have heard about, not many people have seen, and I saw it, uh, just picked up the DVD a few years ago um, at a store and fell in love with it. And I still don't necessarily understand the ending, but I like, I like the films where I can say that. I've I've I, I covered it in my I did a twenty British horror films you should watch right and I chose Triangle as as my Chris Smith film because there's a few I could have chosen and mm-hmm. um, some some people fed back to me that they prefer Black Death but I I think I'm with you I think Triangle has that has that it's odd. quality yeah. yeah and and to say, my my theory is if for what for what it's worth is that the entire film is some death dream or, and a guilty death dream at that. Of Melissa George's character, mm. she can't love her child, so therefore, at the moment she dies, all that comes out. Yeah, it was um, it was trippy. <laughs> it was trippy for sure. The last the last few minutes, I was left scratching my head, and to be honest, years later, I still am. No, but I don't no. always need answers from my films. I'm very happy to leave them open ended. Elementary Passage doesn't leave things open ended, but I I'm just as happy to uh, to walk out of a cinema not knowing. Where it was going, where it was to go, or where what it really meant, or, or what had happened, I'm very happy with that. So long as the story kept me engaged the whole way along. No, no, no. That's always that, that is that, that, the, 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 film, the film doesn't have to always be neatly tied up in a bow. No, indeed, it doesn't. Um, so, does the film have an official release for those people that might not be going to Frightfest? Uh, it is uh, so. It's being released in. Um, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a scattered release around the world. So it's being mm. released first in Australia in November by uh, uh, Universal. Mm-hmm. Um, it will then be released uh, just sometime after that in the rest of the world, I'd, I'd imagine. And uh, there's no official release date for the for the United Kingdom though. So you know, we'll be holding out for some time at the end of this year. Well, look. Thank you very much for your time. Good, good on you, Stuart. Thanks, mate. This is a Fright Fest 2014 special of It's the BritBlix.com podcast. This is a Fright Fest 2014 special of It's the BritBlix.com podcast. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. 